0: yourself in a world that no longer makes sense when you realize a man like epstein didn't epstein himself when the police are defunded but pakistan gets a gender studies grant you may be in the collapse experiment hello and welcome to the collapse experiment this is part two of the great narrative For a better future, of which you will owe nothing, you'll have no privacy, and you'll be happy. Well, no, they just flat out tell you you're going to be happy. Bitch, you're going to be happy. Put up with it. So this is 1.3, The Power of Narrative, starting at page 19. Remember, this is all coming directly from Klaus Schwab and Terry Mallorette. Uh, two of the biggest a-holes you could ever find at the uh, World Economic Forum, let's hear what they have to say about your future. As the most effective of conduits for ideas, narratives have the unique power to help us determine what's going on, what lies ahead, and what needs to be done. Hence, the title of this book. I'm still not seeing what the narrative is for the Great Reset. They're just explaining narratives. And I think Joseph Campbell probably did a hell of a lot better job doing that. I would suggest just reading some Joseph Campbell. Uh, He's got a great library, great selection. Obviously, these people have never read him because they're just trying to pull shit out of their ass. And they would know, had they done any research into mythology and culture that... uh, Narratives are organically grown through the society itself and therefore propagates its own future and culture. Ugh, God. Anyways, defined in the simplest possible terms, a narrative is a story about something. I'm going to read that again. Defined in the simplest possible terms, a narrative is a story about something. There's a period after that. <laughs> More aptly, for the purpose of the great narrative, it is also a way of presenting t- present, yeah, presenting, yeah, or understanding a situation or series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view or set of values. Okay. Some of the narrators we've interviewed for this book go further. Oh, they found their own narrators. And it's all... If you look at the list of the 50 people that they interviewed for this book, um, you're going to maybe recognize one or two of them. Uh, like John Hegel, who draws a distinction between stories and narratives, stories are self-contained. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Narratives are open-ended. There is no resolution yet. There's some kind of big threat or opportunity out in the future, and it's not yet clear whether it will be addressed. This resolution of the narrative hinges on you. The people are being addressed by the narrative. Your choices and actions will help to determine how the narrative plays out. Hmm. It almost sounds like, I don't know, a a cult, like a doomsday cult. Stories are essential to us because human beings are social animals and we are storytelling creatures. The philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said... In Nazi, Nazi? Nazi, 1938, a man is always a teller of tales. He lives surrounded by his stories and the stories of others. He sees everything that happens to him through them, and he tries to live his life as if he were recounting it. Robert Schiller, the father of narrative economics, goes one step further, linking narratives to the decisions we make. The human brain has always been highly tuned towards narratives, whether factual or not, to justify ongoing actions. The rich scholarly literature about narratives makes it clear that we think, act, and communicate in terms of narratives, and each interpretation, understanding, or model of how the world operates begins with a story. Narratives provide the context in which the facts we observe can be interpreted, understood, and acted upon. Again, no Oxford comma. Assholes. In this scene, they equate to much more than the stories we tell, write, or illustrate figuratively. They end up being the truth or the ideas we accept as truths that underpin the perceptions that shape our realities and in the process form our cultures and societies. Through narratives, we explain how we see things, how these things work, and how we make decisions and justify them, how we understand our place in the world, and how we try to persuade others to embrace our beliefs and values. Wow. Okay, so they're now talking about narratives and how there's different narratives for different cultures, different groups of people, and how we embrace our beliefs and how we persuade others to embrace our beliefs and values. So, um, yeah, of course, this isn't universal with everyone, and you're never, ever, ever going to end up having a worldwide narrative or mythology for people to follow. Uh, We're not all one culture. We're one big, huge freaking planet. Good luck with that. To sum up, narratives shape our perceptions... Uh, which in turn form our realities and end up influencing our choices and actions. They are how we find meaning in life. Yeah, that this is why they're trying to destroy religion. Uh, a lot of what they just described here is your basic fundamentals in religion. Uh, why you're here, why you do what you do, where you're going... Um, Moral backgrounds. It's, um... This is what they're trying to take over. This book offers a constellation of interrelated narratives that shed light on what's coming and what to do about it. Great. The great narrative coalesces around one central story and derives from a collaborative effort with some of the world's leading thinkers to fashion long-term perspectives and co-create a narrative that can help guide the creation of a more resilient, inclusive, sustainable vision of our collective future. It relies on a substantial extent, to an existential. Uh, it relies to an substantial extent, but not exclusively, on interviews conducted with 50 of the world's foremost global thinkers and opinion makers, who come from a broad spectrum of academic disciplines from. Div- diverse geographies and backgrounds undoubtedly thousands upon thousands of prominent academics researchers scientists professors foresight specialists and influential writers influential writers hmm, i wonder who's on that list exist who could have made it to the list there was therefore a degree of aberish, ab mm, arb, "'arbitrariness in deciding on the 50. "'We are confident, however, that the 50 we choose are legitimate, "'quotes, legitimate, "'in the sense that all of them will leave an imprint "'on their domain of expertise and often beyond "'and tend to be uh, listened to by people outside of their field. "'In short, their narratives are influential. "'They do matter.' Whether or not we agree with them, these narratives titillate our imagination and entice us to flirt, even engage with the ideas they present. This is critical. All too often, we tend to favor well-established ideas that are deeply interwoven with and influenced by our personal and professional lives. Put together, put another way... We don't think out of the box nearly enough. As a result, we limit our exposure to those other ideas that can create an ah or eureka moment and compel us to think a bit differently, question some of our beliefs and assumptions, and make new mental connections. As you read this book, we hope you'll come to realize that the 50 narratives, 50 different narratives, can help us see the world differently and expand our mental map about what needs to be done to make it a better place. Each narrative does it from its own perspective and by the mere virtue of uh, cognitive diversity. Each exposes us to other people's influential ideas. Drawn together, they create an interesting canvas, a great series of narratives in which we can engage to shape the society and the economy we want. Wow. So not just society, but the economy we want. Who's we? Because you you already stated back here that uh, narratives don't apply to everybody. So yeah, the economy that they... I'm just going to put it they want. Which uh, apparently is this... Um, it's basically socialist, right? It means that the employees are the the owners of the, the corporations, and that we need to go from uh, like a corporate-based system to basically like a, um, a more socialist-type system. Oh man, I feel like this guy's been watching way too many Michael Moore documentaries. Exposing and discussing the ideas embedded in diverse narratives is what this book is about. Moving them forward in the realm of decision-making and policy is also part of our endeavor, actions, and solutions policies. Again, no Oxford comma. Always begin with a big idea. Big ideas not only power our economies, they are the real engine of economic growth. Mm Mm-hmm. But they also drive the world with a big idea... Breaks, when, it, bleh, when a big idea breaks through and becomes influential, it can turn into a virtual narrative. Viral. Viral narrative. Uh, it takes off and becomes contagious, makes its way into policies as well as business and investors' decisions. Through the sheer work and imagination of those who originate them, ideas spur creativity and become the foundation of discovery, innovation, and change. It could also become a call to action. If ideas were to be considered as an economic good, economists would call them, in their jargon, a non excludable and non rival idea. Ideas are not excludable because of their free nature. Nobody can effectively be excluded from consuming or generating an idea. Hmm, really? I seem to have found where um, certain ideas are just not allowed to be consumed. Just gonna mention that. Ideas are also non rival because they can be utilized by someone without reducing their availability to others. All can enjoy consuming an idea without preventing others from doing so. Really? Have you talked to social media lately? Have you? Have you talked to YouTube, Twitter? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Have you, have you had a chat with these guys? Let me read that again. <laughs> Cons- let's see here. Ideas are also non-rival because they can be utilized by someone without reducing their avail- without reducing their availability to others. All can enjoy consuming an idea without preventing others from doing so. Uh, that line is 100% complete bullshit, especially right now, because we are in an election season. Wow, congratulations, Klaus. You, uh, you have no idea what the... This is another one of their lies where they try to say, like, oh, no, anybody can consume an idea. You will eat the bugs. And uh, n- no, no, you cannot talk about eating cow. <laughs> As the saying goes, if you give a dollar and you give me a dollar, each of us will only have one dollar. But if you give me one idea and I give you another idea, we each both have two ideas. This specific feature of ideas bestows them uh, with a natural property to generate aggregate, non-decreasing returns to scale. But in plain language, the more the better, and the more ideas we have, the more we will generate. The great narrative offers a profusion of interesting and sometimes intriguing ideas mediated by the interviews we conducted with 50 global thinkers and opinion makers. Um, yeah, there there kind of is such a thing as too many ideas. I'm sorry, but um, as, as I think uh, with the First Amendment, you know, the Oh, the neo Nazis and, and all those assholes have the right to say whatever it is that they're they're going to zig heil out uh, at their rallies. Um, is it a good idea? No. Uh, the only reason I agree with it is so that I know who are the assholes to not hang out with. <laughs> so if I know Bob was at that KKK rally and you know he was wearing one of the robes. Um, I'm not going to hang out with Bob. So um, there is such a thing as too many um, ideas. Uh, Not all of them are good. Um, I kind of understand what they're saying here, but if you... How should I put this? So if you're looking for a form of alternative energy and you've got 50 different companies doing 50 different things... And some are more likely to work better than others. Do you just equally divide your time and money and resources to all 50? Or do you concentrate on the ones that are the most viable? It's as simple as that. This book is about ideas and how they may coalesce from form to form a great narrative. It is also, and most importantly, about how some of these ideas... I feel like they're just repeating themselves in this introduction. Like, did they just, like write it and rewrite it, and then just um, slap all of it t- together. It is also, and most importantly, about how some of the, these ideas may or should make their way into policy and decision-making. No, stay the fuck out. You're not elected. Shut up. To reiterate, they go beyond the realm of theory and are a call to action. I'm so tired of hearing that shit. We adopt a view that... As they recover from the pandemic and embark on a path to radical and accelerated change, yeah, we've seen how that works with Joe Biden. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Our societies and economies should be more inclusive and attuned to the needs of our global commons and more resilient. (sighs) More inclusive and attuned to the needs of our global commons. I'm so inclusive, more inclusive of what and of who. And like, how are you? Mm. No, this is like the rhetoric of like some totalitarian communist bullshit where they're like, you're too successful as a company. You need to have that success going to some of your, your competitors. No, no. (laughs) The great narrative is a hybrid between an essay, a manifesto, and a light academic precess. Um, Manifesto, really? Man, I haven't heard that word since the Unabomber. Mostly peaceful. Uh, It addresses such a large range of subjects that it is, by necessity, very synthetic. Synthesis is a process of simplification, but it goes without saying that being simple is not the same as being simplistic. Some ideas and narratives presented in this book may seem a bit out of the mainstream, but they are also supported and constrained by the factual evidence available in academic literature and in policy circles. Really? Because I seem to remember Aaron Schwartz um, being prosecuted for trying to spread academic ideas. Hmm. The Great Narrative is deliberately written with a minimum of academic jargon to make it palatable to the broadest possible leadership. Uh, (laughs) Really, because some of the words that they use in the introduction is uh, not exactly palatable to most people. So clearly, uh, they just kind of put that in there to um, make everybody feel comfortable. Um, But... Not true. Let's see here. Broadest possible readership. The text is accessible and easy to read, but maintain remains conceptually and methodologically robust. Uh, to interrupt its flow as little as possible. To manipulate. To multiple references to the academic and business literature appear at the end. The great narrative draws primarily from the interviews and the conversations we had with our chosen 50 global thinkers, chosen, and opinion makers from June to November of 2021. It is complemented by numerous other conversations our privilege to have with, uh, we were privileged to have with leaders from business, government, and civil society as well as academia. It's funny, they keep changing, like, who the hell these 50 people are. In addition, it benefits from the input of a two-day brainstorming session hosted in November 2021 by the government of the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. Hmm. Yes, those douchebags. With most of our 50 narrators narrators and some of their peers, a most propiti- propitious place to elaborate a great narrative as, to our knowledge, the UAE is the only country in the world to have a Ministry of Possibilities. If there was ever a made-up bullshit title that somebody could get paid for having, that might be towards the top of the list. Aiming at building a new government systems for the future. Yeah, because I'm going to trust a country which has no oil, but then also is a major banking hub for basically criminals all around the world. Yeah, that's who I wanted to decide as to what the new government systems for the future should be. Awesome. You you fucking brilliant assholes at the World Economic Forum. Just, oh my God. It is, in this sense, a community-source book, the product of the enlightened wisdom of a, of a crowd's The Forum community vision. Uh, direct attributions have been minimized, but all of our interviewees are mentioned by name when we refer to their ideas or quote them verbatim. The list of the 50 contributors appears at the end of the book. We would be thrilled if this book allows some of our readers to broaden their perspectives, and if it is even, and if it even incites some of them to change their mind about a particular issue and helps them more meaningfully address it. Again, the great narrative is a call to action. How many times do we have to hear this bullshit? And it, you know, if they stopped. re repl- repeatedly saying the same stupid this book could be like 150 pages honestly. if you were to just take out call to auction um, if you were to take that out you'd probably drop like 10 to 20 pages. I'm not I'm not even kidding. like they just repeat this introduction itself 12 to 25 you probably could have cut four or five pages honestly. They just keep repeating themselves and they don't even, they don't even describe the 50 people in the same way in the different paragraphs. It's like they just wrote each, they had 10 monkeys on typewriters trying to work on an introduction and they just spliced paragraphs together. Uh, Let's see here. The great narrative is a call to action and a platform to move the agenda forward in some of the most critical issues that we collectively face. The Great Narrative is structured in two main blocks. The first part is about problems. The World Economic Forum is a problem. The second part is about solutions. We make the problems, we present the solutions that make more problems, so we present more solutions. The introduction sets the scene. Not really. The first part assesses the issues and challenges that we will collectively face in our future post-pandemic era in five intertwined macro categories, economic, environmental, geopolitical, societal, and technological. Thank you for not having the Oxford comma again, you corporate douchebags. The second part looks at the solutions and the way forward from a multiplicity of perceptive perspectives, uh, both individual and collective in nature. The conclusion investigates the way in which our mindset and our sense of optimism, pessimism, pragmatism can help us, or otherwise, navigate the current maelstrom. A list of foremost global thinkers and opinion makers and their titles are appended, appended in the annex. Again, they're telling you, this list of people is at the end of the book. How many times do we have to be told that the the list of 50 people is at the end of the book? The list of 50 people you can find at the end of the book. The appendix at the end of the book. The end of the book. The end of the book. Let's see here. Who are these annex? Number 5 starts at 207. Yeah, I bet you if you looked into these people, a lot of them. I wonder how many of these people are on uh, Epstein Island Flight Manifest. (laughs) Because, you know, he was uh, coercing a lot of scientists to uh, come to the island for some benefits. I'm just saying. Uh, Chapter 2. Or maybe, is this Chapter 2? Or is it going to be, like, Part 2? How how does this work? Let's see here. Maybe it's Chapter 2 post-COVID issues and challenges. I won't be able to get through all of this, obviously. The world faces a maelstrom of global challenges to cite some of the most major unsustainable economic growth, geopolitical rivalries, environmental degradation, inequalities, pandemics, and cybercrime. Uh, The aim of these opening sections is to... DELINEATE delineate AND FOCUS ON THE MAIN ISSUES USING FIVE DIFFERENT PRISMS THAT OFTEN INTERACT WITH EACH OTHER 2.1 CONCEPTUAL FRAMEWORK IT IS IMPOSSIBLE TO UNDERSTAND WHAT IS GOING ON IN THE COMPLEX TIMES THAT CATEGORIZE TODAY'S WORLD WITHOUT A ROBUST CONCEPTUAL FRAMEWORK. To this end, we use the one developed by the Global Risk Network of the World Economic Forum, uh, which divides global issues into five macro categories, economics, environmental, geopolitical, societal... See, this is where you need an Oxford comma, uh, because at the very end of this list, you have economics, environmental, geopolitics, that's three, And then, you have society and technology, which technically is just a fourth, because you are lumping those two together because you didn't properly use a comma. (sighs) This is the neat, simple, and yet all-encompassing categorization of what happened in the world. Any global issue of any significance necessarily belongs to one of these five key macro categories. The following sections present them with a linear manner, one after another, for reasons of convenience and simplicity. But as briefly stated in the introduction, interdependence and systemic connectivity uh, define our world. Even though our brains incline us to think in linear terms and without the boundaries of an academic discipline, what without the- <sighs> within the boundaries of an academic discipline. The world that surrounds us is non-linear and a mishmash of issues that don't fit nearly into, don't fit neatly into any one silo. Our world is complex, adaptive, fast-paced, and ambiguous, and as we argued in the Great Reset, our possessions quantum, quantum properties. It possesses quantum properties. Um, We often think of it as if it were an e... Emanation of the classical world of post Newtonian physics, categorized by linear, lin, linearity, linearity, predictability, and to some extent even determinism. What? Determinism in physics. Okay. But such a world doesn't exist. R- really? Are you shitting me? So you're saying that we have um, satellites and rocket technology and, and all the things in our physical world, mechanics, cars, trains, planes, definitely planes. These are all based on fundamentals of physics. And now they're trying to say, it eh, doesn't really exist. <laughs> I think they watched The Secret one too many times. Uh, okay. Today, possibly even more than ever, because of increased interdependence, it even exhibits certain properties of quantum physics. It is highly interconnected, uncertain, and incredibly complex. The quantum metaphor, I'll bet just that, seems apt to describe such a world. Okay, yeah, this is uh, complete bullshit. All of this... They're Now they're trying to discredit Newton, saying that physics really don't explain the world. We have to go into quantum physics, which really hasn't been updated since the early 1900s. String theory is like the end of quantum physics, and everybody just looks at that and thinks that they're really, really smart and try to say that they understand it. Meanwhile, there hasn't been any real breakthroughs after that point, so... um yeah, let's let's just use quantum physics to um, really explain uh, how the world works when uh, none of that has really been proven true. <laughs> we know physics works. As for quantum physics, we, we haven't really had any discoveries for a very, very, very long time. So um, good luck with that. I I hope you can build a nice, clean. Um, green powered rocket to fuel your asses to mars um and uh use use some quantum quantum physics to to construct that That, that'd be great it is therefore limited and conceptually wrong to think about one specific macro category without taking into consideration the way in which it intersects with the others Thinking about economics without relating them to social issues or about geopolitics without incorporating technology or, for that matter, thinking about any of the five macro categories in isolation from the four others constitutes a dead end. This is bullshit. I'm sorry, but if you talk to any good economist, they're going to take into account, well, this company is based in... This country over here, they're changing their policies, and that's going to affect this, and then that's going to affect trade over here. Oh, it's like if you're an economist, and you had, if you were just looking at the companies in Ukraine, okay, and the news is saying, hey, Russia, it looks like they're going to invade, but the numbers for the companies are good, right? You're going to ignore the news. You're not going to look into, well, what's going on in Ukraine right now? Oh, Russia's going to invade. Maybe I shouldn't invest in these companies. When all the bells and whistles are saying that you probably should invest in the co- if you just went by the numbers. Nobody does this. Nobody. This is completely asinine that they're even trying to make this argument that... Oh, no, if you focus on this one thing, if you're an economist, you're not looking at all these... No, part of your job is to look at all these other things to try to make the most educated guess as to whether this stock is going to go up, this stock is going to go down. How are grain prices going to be affected? How is this going to be affected? What about the job market? How is that? Are we going to have increased numbers of um, unemployment? Are we going to have more jobs than we have employees? These are all the different things that they're looking at, and they're looking at differences in policy and culture and the things that are happening in order to try to make educated decisions. Constitutes a data. They don't know what they're talking about. The reason is straightforward. The five we've chosen in our conceptual framework are intricately interdependent. The risk and opportunities they harbor are fully interconnected. Each individual risk conflates with the others and each has the potential to create ricochet effects by provoking further risk. hmm To give an example, an extreme weather event, an environmental risk, can exacerbate food prices inflation food price inflation, an economic risk that could turn cause large-scale involuntary migration, a social risk, and possibly trigger state collapse, a geopolitical risk. We all know this. It's because you're hanging out with brainiacs that only focus on the one thing. You're the issue, and these are the experts that you're going to to try to navigate our future? Are you fucking kidding me? You're complaining about the same people that you went to go talk to. Fascinating. Uh, This shows the phenomenon of contagion by systemic connectivity. Similarly, an opportunity in a rising one macro category like the fast-paced acceleration of innovation and deployment of new technologies can directly benefit another macro category, though through a specific and direct impact. It can also have a negative effect. They're trying to make this argument that deploying new innovation and new technologies only has a benefit. That is 100% wrong. It's not just a positive. Drone surveillance. Something impossible until just a few years ago to mitigate the risk of deforestation. A key environmental risk offers such an example. Risk. Conflict. conflate, but so too do opportunities. Yeah, they're focusing and trying to promote what it is that they want while ignoring the fact that it's going to have a downside as well. As observed in the introduction, why do they keep referring to the thing we already read? The rapid and abrupt changes happening in our five macro categories are all occurring simultaneously and amplifying each other. This is most obviously with the environment. Environmental degradation, and climate change are already having a profound impact on how our economies, societies, and international relations, geopolitics, function. In turn, technology plays a critical role in how climate change is being addressed and some of its risk mitigated. The con... con... conternation... conternation... Between the five macro categories means that we are in a midst of a transition of an epic scale. Every living generation thinks it is in the cusp of a new era, but might it really be true this time? It's it's always been true. Things are always changing, Klaus, except for your haircut. <sighs> we don't know, but it is hard to deny that the world is changing faster than we may realize, and that we are living through... A period of profound transformations. It is a rare occurrence when our economies, our societies, geopolitics, the environment, and tech can all be said to be changing concomitantly, con concomitantly, concomitantly. I swear they do this shit on purpose rapidly and often abruptly, with second, third, fourth, and more rounded effects that affects them all. Our collective juries remain out on where this will all lead, principally because of two notions on the core of our conceptual framework, complexity and velocity. So, they've never read a history book they've they've never read a history book all of these different things are changed by the other things and it's constantly happening and yet they're trying to make it sound like this is the first time in history where all of these different things are changing at the same time and yet this is this is any any time period of history right where there's a constant change I mean, look at the last century. For example, World War II. How much stuff changed within a very, very short period of time. When it came to, oh, I don't know, technology. A lot of the shit that we've had for the last almost 100 years is simply due to World War II. Economies changed because we had the Bretton Woods Agreement. Uh, Geopolitics. All of a sudden, you ended up with the USSR. And then you ended up with, um, it basically, it was supposed to be a democratic republic or a constitutional republic, but then it just ended up being uh, capitalism. <laughs> like, full-on capitalism. We gotta fight the commies. <laughs> this shit is always changing, and they're trying to make it sound like this is the first time in history that, that this this type of thing has happened. You look back at the Black Plague and all the differences, the, the things that changed there. All of a sudden, what went from royalty and peasants, all of a sudden you had, what, a middle class. You had people taking over land. You had, um, things were more abundant. Around the same time, you ended up with the the new world being found. And more money and resources coming in because of this new sailing technology and navigation. <sighs> These people, they're supposed to be experts, but they seriously do not know what they're talking about. And they're just like trying to sell this idea of like, this is the first time we've been able to do this and you will eat the bugs. No, it's not the first time. And you know what? People beforehand figured shit out and they didn't need to have these elites, these academic assholes trying to navigate where they want things to go. Things gradually work themselves. People understand what their needs and wants are. And they're going to push that in order to make their lives better, not just for themselves, but for other people. Because if everyone else is doing better, that means that you're doing good too. <laughs> and yet, uh, this is this is not what we, we have these these people doing or thinking. Um, they're trying to make their own lives better. Uh, they're, they're trying to reduce the number of you. Notice how when they say we, they're not talking about including you in the we, okay? You're, you're not in the picture. The, the book, even though they say it was published and, and, and written so that these, the common folks can read it, It's not. It's not for you. You weren't supposed to pick it up. It's got a boring cover. (laughs) It's a boring title. Most people don't know who Klaus Schwab is or would care. Um, It just looks like some academic piece of shit that you're going to find at like a uh, global earth summit meeting for for college students that are afraid of global warming. You know, that thing that they've been pushing since, what, the 70s? (laughs) I am so tired of hearing about global warming. The world was supposed to end in 2000. I'm sorry. Um, that was a huge disappointment. Well, global warming didn't happen, so let's come up with Y2K. <laughs> As a kid in the 80s, it was either I was going to die by nuclear war or by the year 2000, uh, the world was going to flood and then turn into a massive desert because of global warming. Um, which, the, the, how are the two are true? I don't know. But they were selling both of it. Oh, and then there was the ice age. There was somebody that was saying that we we're gonna have a massive ice age. So that was that was another good one. But um, none of that happened. So um, yeah, this this book it's just it's gonna be entertaining. I'm gonna end it there and um, continue on next week. We'll start at two point one point one. I love how they. Break this up by the numbers. It's, uh, uh... All right. Remember, you are the carbon they want to reduce. Thank you for listening to the Collapse Experiment podcast. For more content, check out thecollapseexperiment.com where you can find the latest news articles. If you'd like to help out this podcast, check out books by Matthew Gilman on Amazon. Or you should just buy gold and silver just just buy gold and silver it's it's a better investment and uh you might actually have something to trade later on when the world (laughs) falls apart